Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. I mean, God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. So over the summer we have been looking at some in the evening services, some of the uh, parables in the uh, gospel of Matthew. And here we come to two of the shortest and perhaps two of the most straightforward parables told by Jesus, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. They belong together because although they slightly uh, differ, uh, they make the same point that the kingdom of heaven is of great value. The kingdom of heaven is of great value. During New Testament times, uh, Palestine was a veritable treasure trove of uh, buried treasure. In days when banks were out of the reach of ordinary people, uh, people would often uh, bury their wealth in jars of clay in the ground, in the garden, or in a field. Now, sometimes that treasure was lost if the owner died and had no heirs, or perhaps was carried into captivity by invading forces. Palestine was probably the most fought-over parcel of land in all of the world. And occasionally, stories circulated of people hitting the jackpot, of finding buried treasure uh, on their land. That still happens uh, today, uh, mainly through uh, archaeological digs, but occasionally people will stumble on great treasure like Muhammad Ali, not the one who moved like a butterfly and stung like a bee, uh, but the Bedouin uh, teenager who in 1946 threw a stone into a cave, heard clay plots, pots shatter, and discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Or in 1876, a group of uh, workmen were digging up a road in Sidon and discovered uh, the buried treasure of Alexander the Great, his gold coins in copper jars. And uh, there is a, a website, a Facebook page of uh, biblical archaeology, and if you're uh, a member of that group, you can discover great finds that are still being turned up today. In Jesus's parable, we find a man working uh, in a piece of land. Perhaps he's a laborer working for the farmer, or perhaps he's a, a tenant farmer and has rented out this field from its owner. And as he works in the field, he discovers this treasure. Obviously, it doesn't belong to the owner of the field, or the owner of the field wouldn't have had him working uh, in the field in the first place. So what he does is that he buries the treasure back where he got it. He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field, thus acquiring not only the field, but the treasure as well. Now, in the parable of the pearl, we have a merchant, uh, a dealer, a wholesaler who is seeking pearls. In Jesus' time, uh, pearls were very much in demand uh, for jewelry, and uh, inferior ones were 
uh, imported from the Red Sea region, and superior ones were brought in all the way from Ceylon, present-day Sri Lanka. Now, this dealer stumbles across almost accidentally the most beautiful pearl he has ever seen. It's a now-or-never proposition. He, too, sold everything he had, presumably all the inferior pearls that he had accumulated on that business trip to obtain that one outstanding piece. So both men discover something of great value, and both in an almost reckless uh, way get rid of everything else in order to secure that one item. Now, what are the lessons that Jesus is teaching us from these uh, two closely related parables? Well, first of all, the kingdom of heaven is a valuable treasure. Very simply, very straightforwardly, the kingdom of uh, heaven is a valuable treasure. Now, a kingdom is a place over which a king reigns. And the people who live in that kingdom are citizens of the kingdom and live under the protection of the king. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is that invisible kingdom, that, in spirit, that spiritual kingdom over which God rules, that you enter only through the new birth. For Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, through faith in the Lord Jesus, they're brought into that kingdom, and they live under the rule and protection uh, of God. They were once in the kingdom of darkness, they were once living in the kingdom of Satan, but now they have been translated miraculously and wonderfully and brought in to the kingdom of heaven. And every Christian belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom is something that is very valuable, something to be desired, something to be longed after, something to be sought. It's something worth having that the kingdom of God is a great treasure. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and he says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich, that the whole purpose and reason for the poverty associated with the incarnation, the humiliation, and the execution of Jesus was to make us rich in Christ, to make us rich in Him, to give us this great uh, blessing of kingdom riches. The blessing of being a citizen of the kingdom uh, is utterly priceless and uh, more valuable than any of all the possessions that the richest man can acquire in this world. There is absolutely nothing in this world that you can compare to the value, the beauty, or, or the worth uh, of the kingdom. It's a precious, precious treasure. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing uh, in Christ Jesus. Do you think of the, the riches that we enjoy as Christians as being citizens of the kingdom? 
to be forgiven, to stand in the presence of a God that you know is, is holy and all-knowing, who can uh, uh, peel apart the uh, external veneer of uh, outward pretense and look right into our hearts and see, as we, as we, uh, see us as we really are, and to know that He sees us as uh, not condemned sinners who, whose sin needs to be punished, but as forgiven sinners cleansed by the blood of His own Son to have our sins washed away, our sins blotted out, as far as the east is from the west, to have those sins removed from us. That indeed is to be rich, to be loved by God, to know that the initiation for your transferal from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light was prompted by the love of God, that He loved us when we were unlovely. And He loved us so much that He sent us His Son into the world to enflesh Himself, to come uh, as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, to live for um, 30 years in obscurity, to preach for uh, three years, and to be rejected and humiliated uh, uh, by man, to, to know that during those last three days of his life when he was arrested and stood trial and led out to be executed, that at any moment he could have called down legions from heaven to deliver him, to vindicate him, to slay his enemies and proclaim his glory. But because of his love for us, he, he uh, exercised the utmost in self-restraint in order that he might purchase our salvation. And then for those last three hours on the cross when darkness descended and literally all hell was uh, unleashed against his uh, sinless soul, when our sin was led on him and the wrath of God fell on him to know that when he cried out, it is finished, the work of our salvation was completed and there was nothing that we can do and nothing that we can contribute and nothing that we can, uh, no effort we can make to improve that work. But our salvation at that moment was, was secured to enable us to become part of the kingdom. To know that God validated him and accepted him by raising from him from the dead. And at this, this very moment, he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he prays for us. He intercedes for us on our behalf. And the very worship that we have offered to his great and glorious name this evening is, is taken and perfected by our high priest, Jesus Christ, before it's presented to his throne to know that we can most confidently say with the Apostle Paul, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a glorious thing that is, to be not only to have your sin forgiven, but to be clothed in the righteousness of God's own Son, that he it, it, it's double imputation. He died not just to take away sin, but he, he died to make us righteous. My sin to him, his righteousness to me, and I stand in the presence of God as clean and as justified as Jesus Christ himself. 
to be adopted into his family, to come before the throne of the great God of heaven and address him in the most intimate term that an Aramaic child could have used of his father to call him Abba Father, my Father who is in heaven. J.I. Packer says adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. I wonder if you would think of adoption in that way, that the greatest privilege that comes to us through the gospel is that He becomes our Father in heaven. We have a Father to care for us, to look after us, to provide for us, to guide us, to give us a counsel, to know that up in glory He has led uh, up an inheritance that uh, Uh, we cannot even begin to appreciate or understand. No uh, ear has heard, no eye has seen what God has prepared for those who love Him. That one look on that inheritance will more than compensate for all the hurt and harm that we have experienced uh, in this life, because what we've experienced in this life is temporary and transitory. But what, what uh, that, that inheritance in, uh, is, is eternal. It's, it's forever. The Christian, man or woman, or boy or girl, is the richest person on the face of uh, God's earth. What more can he want? To stand with a clear conscience before God, to be clothed in the righteousness of his Son, to to know that he has been adopted into the family of God, and there's a great inheritance prepared for him in heaven. He is rich. He possesses a treasure that is of incalculable worth. He is a son of the living God. And a non-Christian is poor, poor. He's spiritually poor. If you're not a Christian tonight, you're like one of those starving children that comes on the television screens every now and then with swollen stomachs, with ribs protruding, with saucer-like eyes standing out of the flesh. You have nothing of worth. You have nothing of value. You're the poorest of the poor. You're destitute before God. Like these two men, you might say, well, I have my property. I have my pearls. I have my field. But compared to the treasure, which is of inestimable value, compared to the treasure, you have nothing. Everything is worthless in comparison to this. Utterly worthless. The kingdom is a valuable treasure. And then the second thing is the the kingdom is a hidden treasure. If If the gospel then, if the kingdom is such a valuable treasure, if it's priceless, then we've got to ask ourselves, why do people not seek after this treasure? Why do they not pursue this pearl? Why are they so indifferent to the riches that are offered to them in Christ Jesus? And that's simply because we're blind to the true nature of those riches. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. They are uh, uh, strangers to him. 
Robert Herbert Thompson uh, owned 180 newspapers in America. He controlled another 290 companies and was personally worth $300 million. And he was once asked how much he would give for the new Uh, for the New York Times, and he said, I'd mortgage my own soul. And that's the problem with our world. People will mortgage their own souls to acquire possessions, popularity, prestige, and fame. But here is is the treasure, this great treasure, and they remain indifferent uh, to it. Well, why is that? Well, very simply, the gospel treasure is a hidden treasure. It's not obviously valuable to men, and therefore it's not something they seek or or naturally search after. Both men, it seems, accidentally stumbled across their finds. One man is out working in a field when he discovers the hidden treasure. The other is seeking pearls when he stumbles across this one pearl of great worth. Now, obviously, both men were very different. One is searching and the other isn't searching at all. He isn't looking at all. The man who finds the treasure in the field uh, didn't go to look for the treasure. He stumbled uh, across it. Many people are, are like him. They, they just stumble across the gospel. They have no interest in the gospel. They have no concern for the gospel. They have no desire for the gospel. They have no desire for the kingdom. Paul was like that. He went down to Damascus to Uh, arrest Christians. He was going in search of Christians to to harass them, to harm them, to imprison them. But when he was on that journey, Christ arrested him, brought him to faith, and uh, gave him this treasure. I I can identify with that. When I was invited as a 15-year-old to church, I hate to confess it, but the, the only reason I went to church was because of the prospect that of meeting what most 15-year-old boys would like to meet, and that's a girl. Uh, And out of those impure motives, I I went to church, went to the youth fellowship, I heard the gospel, and God began a process in me that uh, realized how valuable this treasure actually was. In the parable of the priceless pearl, we have a man depicted whose life business was searching after the thing that he eventually found. And he represents the seeker after God who perhaps for months, for years, will be seeking after meaning and purpose uh, for life through philosophy or through religion. One way or another, he's seeking uh, meaning and purpose in life, and he finds nothing satisfies but he believes that the true way is out there somewhere. The the hidden pearl is out there, and he never stops looking for it. We have many people like that in the Bible. Ethiopian eunuch, he comes all the way from North Africa to Jerusalem at the time of Passover, knowing that he would never, as a eunuch, be admitted into the temple to worship the true and living God. But at great personal cost to himself, he buys a scroll, and he's reading that scroll on the way home in his carriage, and Philip jumps up in, uh, beside him and explains the nature of the treasure to him. He's been searching, and ultimately then he, um, he finds. And uh, I, I just wonder then, is there anybody here this evening? And perhaps you've never appreciated 
what it means to be a Christian, to be a citizen of the kingdom, to have this treasure as your personal possession, to be forgiven, to be in a right relationship with God, to call Him your Father, to know that uh, He will care for you and look after you, and ultimately He'll safely bring you into glory. And, and for the first time, the, the penny has dropped, and you realize that your life is worthless in comparison to possessing this treasure. Or maybe there are people here and you've spent uh, months or perhaps years searching after the meaning and the purpose of life. You know that there's an emptiness. There's a nagging emptiness at the very heart of your being that can never be satisfied, no matter how well you do, how much you advance, how, uh, how well you prosper. The gospel treasure is a gospel, it's a hidden treasure. um, The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. And that's why, that's why people don't seek after it as they, 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 they should and appreciate the true value of what it means to, to be a believer in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what such a person, what a, such a seeker, either who stumbles across the treasure or, or, or uh, somebody who's been searching after that treasure for years, what they need is, is a miracle. The, Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. No, no, no. That's not a good translation. He's not a new creature. He's a, a new creation. God has, has performed a miracle of creation in his heart and life. So he, he removes the scales from his eyes and he sees the true value of the treasure. Uh, the gospel is a valuable treasure. The gospel is a hidden treasure. And then thirdly, the, the gospel is an acquired uh, treasure. Both the parables, we find both men selling all that they have in order to acquire this treasure and this priceless pearl. I want you to notice three things then about this acquisition. They acquired it, first of all, personally. Both men individually and personally chose to sell all that they had to acquire this valuable treasure or pearl. Now, the central truth of these two parables is that the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of grace, must be personally appropriated. It's not obtained by natural inheritance or by collective participation or racial identity or uh, religious affiliation. Both um, parables center on an individual who sacrifices all that he has in order to obtain that which has become immeasurably valued to him. A person must individually and personally receive this treasure. And I I think that's a very important point that Jesus is making, and it's a very radical point that he was making in telling that parable to Jews. Because in in the Jewish mindset, they equated the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of David, that the kingdom of Judah was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. To be a Jew meant that you were already a member of, of the kingdom. No, says Jesus. 
You've got to individually uh, appropriate this treasure for yourself. Mere association with the, the people of God is not enough to become a citizen of the kingdom. Paul reminded his fellow Jews in Romans 9, 6, and 7, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, neither are all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. You see what he's saying? Even under the old covenant, your mere association and identification with the the Jews did not mean automatically that you were a a member of this kingdom. That's what made what Jesus said so so, um, mind-blowing to Uh, Nicodemus. Here's this teacher in Israel. Here's this rabbi who's devoted his life to expounding and teaching the Scriptures. And Jesus comes to him, and he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom, and you cannot enter the kingdom. He just assumed that because he was uh, of Israel, because he, he was a Jew, he was in the kingdom. No, says Jesus, you must personally appropriate this treasure for yourself. And that's, that's so important. I used to think that because I was born in Northern Ireland, because I infrequently attended a Christian church, that I was a, a Christian. But you can spend all your life in a greenhouse, and it'll not make you a tomato. And you can spend all your life in church, and it'll not make you a Christian. This gospel treasure has to be personally received and personally appropriated. Do you remember the the parable of the sheep and and the goats? And uh, the day is coming, Jesus says, when he shall separate the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then these others, these goats who are uh, at that same judgment uh, will receive these words, these Searching words, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And they might say, well, my father was a citizen of the kingdom. My mother was a citizen of the kingdom. My brother's a citizen of the kingdom. I, I, I grew up in, in the kingdom. I nearly believed the kingdom message. But unless you have personally and individually received these riches, this pearl of great um, price, you'll have to face that judgment on your own and ultimately bear that uh, separation from Him. As the old Negro spiritual goes, you've got to walk that lonesome valley. You've got to walk there by yourself, and no one here can walk there for you. You've got to walk there by yourself. The, the gospel is, is this valuable treasure, but it needs to be acquired personally and individually. And I want to ask you tonight, have you, have you um, um, discovered the riches that are in Christ Jesus? Is this treasure yours? Have you personally received it? Secondly, the gospel treasure needs to be acquired sacrificially. 
In both parables, we find uh, the two men selling all that they have to acquire the priceless objects that they wanted. Now, Jesus is not teaching that salvation may be bought or purchased. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that salvation is, is a gift of God, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a, a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And immediately you make some contribution to your salvation, then that salvation no longer becomes a gift, but it, it's something that you deserve, something that you have acquired, something that you have bought. But Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you, will, uh, and you who have no money, Listen, listen to this. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, we might read that as a contradiction, that, that we are to come without money, but we are to come and buy. But I think Isaiah the prophet is, is making the point that although salvation is free, it's a free gift of God, that there is a cost involved in salvation that there are sacrifices uh, to be made for salvation. Both men sell all that they have to uh, acquire that one thing of great value. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If you are not a Christian, uh, the, this, this reception of the kingdom and this um, uh, um, offer of salvation is absolutely free. It's a, it's a gift from God. But in receiving that gift, there is a cost associated with it. Jesus told another parable in Luke 14 about a man who failed to finish building a tower because he hadn't first sat down and counted the cost. So there is a cost. There is a sacrifice to be made in acquiring this treasure. There will be certain uh, sins that you cherish, certain addictions that you have, that you are a sinaholic, you are addicted to certain sinful uh, patterns, and those sinful patterns are incompatible with receiving this treasure, and they must go. That's what repentance is. Repentance is facing up to the problem of sin, but not only facing up to the problem of sin, it's separating from sin. And those sacred sins, those uh, special sins, they have to, to go. Pride has to go. Pride has to go. The fact that you, 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 you uh, need to humble yourself before Almighty God and look only to the cross as a remedy for your soul's condition is a, a puncturer of pride. And you've got to let go of pride, and you've got to realize that there's nothing that you can do to merit salvation, to purchase salvation, to, to deserve salvation. Perhaps there are certain friendships that need to be sacrificed. Friendships that you know when you tell them that you have a, a acquired this, this gospel treasure, that they're going to be furious with you for breaking that covenant of friendship. There'll be certain pleasures that uh, will have to go. There is, a, there is a cost in becoming a Christian. 
I want you to count that cost, but I want you to take that cost and compare it to the treasure, this valuable treasure, this glorious treasure, and see that the cost and the sacrifice is nothing in comparison to the treasure that's been offered. I heard of an ornithologist who was an egg collector, and he had this particular egg that he needed to complete his uh, uh, collection, and somebody told him that uh, this particular bird, this rare bird, I suppose he should have been doing this, was, was nesting on a certain cliff. And so he went and he got his gear and he, he uh, tied his rope to a rock and he lowered himself uh, over the, the mouth of the cave down the face of the cliff where the bird was nesting. And he found himself, because the cliff uh, was jutting out over the cave, that he had to swing himself to get into the cave, and he swung on the rope, and he entered the cave, but he let go of the rope. And the rope then passed out three or four feet from the entrance of the cave, and he picked up this egg, this beautiful egg that he had desired and sought and longed for, for for so long. And he didn't want to let that egg go, but he realized he was stuck in that cave. And unless he let that egg go, he couldn't jump to the rope and secure himself and rescue himself and bring himself back up. And it was the choice, that valuable thing that he wanted, he had to sacrifice in order to have life. And there may be things that you value. And I want to tell you that those things are, are nothing in comparison to knowing Christ and having this riches, uh, th- these riches that are bound up in the gospel uh, treasure. So the gospel is an acquired treasure. We acquire it uh, personally, sacrificially, and then joyfully. Look at, look at verse 44. I think this is, is, is wonderful. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, sometimes, sometimes preachers, and perhaps me in particular, can give the impression that, that the Christian life is miserable, that the Christian life is joyless, that the Christian life is hard, that it's a life of sacrifice and self-denial, and it is all of those things, but it's a life of joy. It's a life of joy to know that you have acquired that treasure or that pearl of great price brings a peace that, and contentment that the world knows nothing about to know that, that you are forgiven, that you're accepted, that you can call this great God your Father, and that He'll always be with you. And when other people let you down, He will never let you down, and He will ultimately bring you into an inheritance. What, what joy there is. You know, when I was first converted for about six weeks, I, I was just full of that, that joy and that that peace. And people would say to me, what's happened to you? Now, when reality uh, struck it, I realized that the Christian life uh, is a a battle also. Uh, It did change. But but there there is a joy in 
in knowing Christ. John Bunyan, when he was first converted, he said, I, I, I just wanted to go out and, and sing with the crows, preach to the crows. I was so uh, joyful and so happy. Basil Pascal, the uh, French philosopher, says he entered into ecstasy for state of ecstasy for six weeks. He he felt so uh, glorious was the presence of Christ, and so great was the value of this this treasure. He he sacrificed. He gave up everything to acquire this treasure, but there was no sacrifice to him. There was no sacrifice to be made because his heart was bursting forth with joy at having acquired that great treasure. And I wish, I wish, if you're not a Christian, I could come down and just peel from your eyes the scales that the devil has put there and just peel them apart and take them off to see so that you can see the riches of the treasure that's offered to us in Christ Jesus. But I can't do that. I wish I could do it, but I can't do it. I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and I'm just praying tonight that the Holy Spirit would peel those scales off your eyes and that you might see how how glorious and wonderful the kingdom of heaven actually is.